Good morning. Good, morning. Uh, good to see y'all. Hello. You hearing me all right out there? Zoom, seeing thumbs. Life is good. Uh, well, Happy New Year. Happy, happy New, New Year. Year. Look at that. Such enthusiasm. Happy New Year. Yeah, yeah, you know, I... Uh, I was walking over here this morning. It's it's very cold here in Minnesota. And uh, my face was kind of burning and felt like it was going to crack. And I, I was like, oh, only two blocks left to go. And I just thought, oh, just felt a pain for humanity. Waiting, waiting for another life. Oh, then I'll be inside. Everything will be fine. Probably not. <laughs> There'll always be something else waiting. So here we are, alive, which is rather amazing. Uh, so I hope you're well, and however you are, I'm glad we're together. <clears throat> so I'm gonna uh, talk today. Uh, this talk is called "In Memory of Bell Hooks." So, uh, Bell Hooks uh, died just uh, about a week ago, and uh, Bell Hooks was uh, kind of an inspiration to me, it is still an inspiration to me. She was born in 1952 in Kentucky, um, and then uh, moved around the country quite a bit, uh, taught at very prestigious academic institutions, including Ivy League schools and uh, I think UC Santa Cruz, and then uh, settled for the end of her life back in Kentucky, teaching at a small college in Berea, Kentucky, for many years. Um, generally speaking, Bell Hooks is known as being a really pioneering, uh, pioneering the field of what we think of as intersectional feminist theory. Uh, but actually, she was doing that before the term had been coined by Kimberly Crenshaw. Uh, and actually, that whole movement was an embodied tradition before it was a theoretical tradition, which I probably won't talk about very much in this case. So she published uh, over 30 books um, and uh, on a really wide variety of subjects. Uh, some of my favorites are uh, all about love. Uh, feminist Theory from Margin to Center, um, Art on My Mind, Ain't I a Woman, which is a quotation from Sojourner Truth. That was her first book, I believe. She started Buddhist practice in the 80s. It was a student of Thich Nhat Hanh and uh, also practiced in a variety of Buddhist traditions. And this talk will mostly be composed, will be a lot of quotations from articles and interviews from Tricycle and Lion's Roar magazine. Um, so I'll sort of be emphasizing her engagement with Buddhism, but actually like her body of work in her realm of inquiry is like really, really big. So I'll, I'll be kind of missing a lot of what she was up to, but sort of focusing here, as I say, on the, the Buddhist side of her work. Um, I was just uh, in Montana spending some holiday time with my mother, and uh, I told her, 
Even I was like, oh, Bell Hooks died. It was kind of sad. And then uh, I said, oh, I know what I can give my daughter talk up next week. Life is good. And uh, she said, oh, you have to tell them this story, which is that my mom was, uh, she was at a lecture by Bell Hooks sometime in the 80s. And uh, Bell Hooks told this story of being a young girl in Kentucky, uh, very young. And her mother took her to a public building. And uh, she said she wanted a drink, so her mother directed her to the drinking fountain. And she said she was very disappointed when she turned the water on because the water, she thought it would be colored because she was standing under a sign for a drinking fountain that said colored drinking fountain. And she was very disappointed to see that the water came out clear. <clears throat> so, <clears throat> Bell Hooks in her later years really wrote a lot and talked a lot about love. And I'm not going to source, I have a lot of quotations, I'm going to read quite a bit here. So, like I said, a lot of this is from uh, Lions Roar and Tricycle magazines, but also from some of her books. Anyway, she once uh, said or wrote to begin by always thinking of love as an action rather than a feeling is one way in which anyone using the word in this manner automatically assumes accountability and responsibility. We are often taught we have no control over our feelings. Yet most of us accept that we choose our actions, that intention and will inform what we do. We also accept that our actions have consequences. So this is like a major theme of Bell Hooks' later work is talking about love and in particular, trying to shift the semantics of the term so that it is not about a feeling state, but about a way of being or acting in the world. So, you know, love is a complicated word. And actually, she bemoans the fact that if you read classic Buddhist literature, uh, love is a term that's rarely used or actually is used in the negative. So generally speaking, if you read translations of Buddhist works, the term love generally refers to attachment. So that's holding, trying to hold on to something. Um, but uh, she's talking about love to maybe put it more simply as caring about people's suffering and doing something about it as an integrated situation. Caring and doing something about it in an integrated way. And this basically is the whole idea of Mahayana Buddhism, is to be aware that they're suffering and give your life to, the, to its alleviation. So, <clears throat> um, if you look at the Heart Sutra, you know, a lot of people get, they're like, this Heart Sutra is so weird. Why do we chant every morning at the Zen Center this very difficult text that seems very intellectual? And, but the whole point of it is that it's about Avalokiteshvara and how suffering is alleviated in this tradition. The whole point of the Heart Sutra is that we're not just trying to evoke a feeling of love, but we are trying to evoke a worldview that enables us to see that all our dualities are not real things and that we can completely pour ourselves into something liberative. 
So there's a deep commonality between the way Hooks is talking about love as this just sense of care that's enough to move towards an actually effective action. Um, it also puts me in mind of something, uh, you know, uh, Dr. King, Martin Luther King would often talked about love a lot. It clearly influenced uh, Bell Hooks' thinking extensively. And he kept having to say, many times, it's like, I'm not talking about some kind of emotional bosh. Not talking about emotional bosh. He's talking about really living through a place, Christ-like place of pouring oneself into um, supporting people's lives. So, uh, Hooks uh, also says in another place, fundamentally, the practice of love begins with acceptance, the recognition that wherever we are is the appropriate place to practice, that the present moment is the appropriate time. For example, two blocks before I arrived at Minnesota Zen Meditation Center with my face cracking off, and I thought, this isn't the time to practice, this is the time to wait till I'm somewhere else, because I forget. But for so many of us, she says, our longing to love and be loved has always been about a time to come, a space in the future, when it will just happen, when our hungry hearts will finally be fed, when we will find love. Yeah, waiting. When will I really feel included and connected and supported? It's a deep and painful part of the human condition. <clears throat> But this is precisely the problematic that Buddhism presents. We wait for a sense of connection when total connection is all that is actually ever here. <clears throat> so she talks about this is the place to practice. This is the appropriate time. Or as Dogen says in the Genjo Koan, when we find where, our place where we are, practice occurs actualizing the fundamental point. When we find our way at this moment, practice occurs, actualizing the fundamental point. <clears throat> so one of the more, uh, Bell Hooks is not averse to provocative statements in my perception. And one of the striking ones that she put forth is, the practice of love offers no place of safety. <clears throat> and this goes on, she says, the practice of love offers no place of safety. We risk loss, hurt, and pain. We risk being acted upon by forces outside our control. Now, I always like to point out that it's already the case. <laughs> that all we are is acted upon by a vast array of forces outside our control that control, that construct our experience, our way of being, who we are, what's gonna happen, it's pretty big. So there's an irony here in that love is merely the acknowledgement of how things actually are. <clears throat> the practice of love offers no place of safety. So, you know, this is not a useful teaching for someone who is in an abusive relationship or in a really unhealthy relationship with their workplace. They need to shift. You know, uh, this is not the approach I'm going to take. 
But Bell Hooks came to this perception honestly. So a lot of people know, like John Lewis, an amazing uh, servant of the country, a congressman for many years. He died last year as well. And you'd be like, oh, yeah, I know he was like, you know, beaten, uh, I think, on the William Pettus Bridge really badly. He was actually beaten many, many times. And he kept going back. When the first Freedom Ride occurred and there was a massive riot and the police stood by while the people on the Freedom Ride were beaten and then let them get sent out of town so their bus was firebombed, a whole bunch of people were like, thank God, these crazy people with their Freedom Ride, are, are, they realized that wouldn't work. What happened was hundreds and hundreds of people immediately got up during the next morning when they heard the news and started a whole new series of freedom rides. The actual commitment to a total love without safety that has been witnessed in the United States in the last hundred years is astonishing. It is astonishing. So she's not just theorizing. Theory tends to follow practice. She saw this happen, and she's describing it. And if you read literature, I've been reading the Avatamsaka Sutra. Man, it's crazy. They're like, well, if you can't give people your hands, you can give them your feet. And if you can't give them your hands, you can give them your eyeballs. I mean, and it goes on, and I'm like, this is crazy. This is crazy. It's kind of over the top. And yet, it points towards something deep and beautiful and profound about possibility. Later on, I'll quote this line from Bell Hooks, which I can't remember, which is what we cannot imagine cannot come into being. <clears throat> Back to this theme of uh, <clears throat> love, not as an emotional state that happens to occur, but a uh, actional, an actional thing. She wrote something that really helps me a lot. She wrote, our willingness to accept responsibility. This is in her first book. Um, first book, Ain't I a Woman? Our willingness to accept responsibility for the elimination of racism need not be engendered by feelings of guilt, victimization, moral responsibility, or rage. It need not be engendered by feelings of guilt, moral responsibility, victimization, or rage. It can come from love. We can just care and take action. It's possible. I mean, certainly all those other feelings often occur to people. That's okay. Doesn't mean you shouldn't have feelings. Just we don't have to wait for them to happen. And we don't have to depend on them as the energy. We don't. This is a central idea of Buddhism, that we can be totally at peace, joyful, blissfully engaged in the suffering of the world. This is the ideal of the Bodhisattva. <clears throat> I'm going to read a couple longer quotes here. Uh, Shiro, this is actually from an interview. When lecturing on ending domination around the world, listening to the despair and hopelessness, I, Bell Hooks, asked individuals who were hopeful to talk about what force in their life pushed them to make a profound transformation 
moving them from a will to dominate towards a will to be compassionate. The stories I heard were all about love. The sense of love as a transformative power was also present in the narratives of individuals working to create loving personal relationships. Personal, holistic. Writing about metta or loving kindness as the first of the Brahma Viharas, still quoting Belfast. Sharon Salzberg reminds us in her insightful book, Loving Kindness, The Revolutionary Art of Happiness, that in cultivating life, love, we remember one of the most powerful truths the Buddha taught, that the forces in the mind that bring suffering are able to temporarily hold down the positive forces, such as love or wisdom, but they can never destroy them. Love can uproot fear or anger or guilt because it is a greater power. Love can go anywhere. Nothing can obstruct it. <clears throat> Dogen Zenji opens the universal recommendation for Zazen with the line, the way is originally perfect and all-pervading. The way is originally all-perfect. Maya Angelou wrote, Love recognizes no barriers. It jumps fences, jumps fences, leaps hurdles, penetrates walls to arrive at its destination full of hope. Don't tell me this is not a faith tradition. Sometimes it's a little hard to believe. Sometimes it's so clearly evident. One of the fun things about Buddhism, though, which I will not delve into here, is we, we have like a whole tradition of logical proofs about why the love Bell Hooks is talking about is the ground of being. But I'm not going to go into the uh, logical proofs today. <clears throat> Bell Hooks again. When I began years ago now, to focus on the power of love as a healing force, no one really disagreed with me. <laughs> Thank goodness. <laughs> Yet what they continue to accept in their daily, daily life is lovelessness. Because doing the work of love requires resisting the status quo. In Thich Nhat Hanh's most recent treatise on the subject, True Love, a practice for awakening the heart, he reminds us, this is still Hooks quoting, he reminds us that to love in the context of Buddhism is above all to be there. He then raises the question of whether or not we have time for love. Right now, there is such a profound collective cultural awareness that we need to practice love if we are to heal ourselves and the planet. The task awaiting us is to move from awareness to action. The practice of love requires that we make time, that we embrace change. Fundamentally, we begin the practice of love. To begin the practice of love, we must slow down and be still enough to bear witness in the present moment. That sounds like Zen. That sounds like Zen. The funny thing is, she moves from saying, everyone. If you talk about love and we need that, everyone goes, yes. And then you say, well, 
What about actually reduce resisting the status quo that harms people? People go, I don't really want to do that. And then she shifts to saying the way you're going to get to that is by slowing down and being still enough to see. So not unwilling to engage in paradox. <clears throat> Bell Hooks writes, Buddhism continues to inspire me because there is such an emphasis on practice. What are you doing? Walking down the street being like, only two more blocks. Maybe that's 278 steps. 276. Four. <clears throat> what are you doing? Right now, cutting carrots, listening to a talk, breathing, trying to ignore your feelings, turning towards your feelings. It's talking about love not as a feeling, but as an, as an action. It's not about denying feelings or that feelings aren't important. She writes, Buddhism continues to inspire me because there is such an emphasis on practice. What are you doing? Right livelihood, right action. We're back to that self-interrogation that is so crucial. It is the discipline that comes from spiritual practice that is the foundation of my life. Every day, every day, every day. Reminds me of uh, something I will not quote accurately that Tomoe Katagiri once said to me, which is, sewing a robe is practice. That means you're going to have a lot of problems. Yes! One stitch, one stitch, one stitch. <clears throat> She writes, linking Buddhism with social engagement, Thich Nhat Hanh's work attracted Westerners, myself included, precisely because he offered a spiritual vision of the universe that promoted working for peace and justice. So this is characteristic of Thich Nhat Hanh. At home, under my altar, I have a picture of Thich Nhat Hanh sitting with Dr. King. But even if we look to the earliest layer of Buddhism, there's extensive discourse on seeing through and not reproducing um, the system of caste, which was in place at the time. And uh, there is also the example of Mahapajapati who with couple hundred other women founded the Order of Nuns using nonviolent resistance to the Buddhas, holding them away from ordination to attain ordination. I believe it is the earliest recorded instance of nonviolent resistance to an oppressive system in the world. <clears throat> and, and he changed his mind. There's not that many Buddha sutras where the Buddha changes his mind. 
Very interesting. <clears throat> so earlier, when one of the things I read, uh, Bell Hooks talks about self-interrogation, which she is a term she raises in many places. You know, seeing clearly, the possible practice insight into the self. What is the self? What's going on here? Really being like, oh, what's going on here? I don't like the term interrogation. It's, it's, it's really hip among some people. It sounds a little aggressive to me. So uh, I say thank you very much, Bell Hooks, for self-interrogation, but it's maybe just inquiry, curiosity, caring. It's, it's evident that what she's talking about is caring about what's going on within ourselves enough to really look, to really look and to challenge what's there. <clears throat> so, uh, Bell Hooks writes, my militant commitment to feminism remains strong. And the main reason is that feminism has been the contemporary social movement that has most embraced self-interrogation. When we, women of color, began to tell white women that females were not a homogenous group, that we had to face the reality of racial difference, many white women stepped up to the plate. I'm a feminist in solidarity with white women today for that reason because I saw that these women grow in their willingness to open their minds and change the direction of feminist thought, writing, and action. This continues to be one of the most remarkable, awesome aspects of the contemporary feminist movement. <clears throat> so this is a really fascinating story, is that the evolution of feminism, which seemed to kind of emerge from a particular group of white women, but there had already been all kinds of women who are interested in having equal status in the world. Um, and, you know, there's beautiful documentation of all the challenges that have when people would be like, oh, uh, Bell Hooks is like, I want to hang out with feminists, but if I come here, I encounter racism in the feminist group. And then they go, I want to do anti-racism work. And they'd be like, oh, there's always patriarchy in here. And so she really interrogates that as something that she's a part of and, and does it in discourse with other people. And one of the really cool things about this is she writes about it really lucidly about how this could be a ground if we recognize, oh, I figured out, I know what the problem is. And then it's like, oh, there's a lot of other problems. And I'll be like, I don't want to deal with it. But I can instead be like, oh, that's how life is. That's what samsara is like. It's complicated. It's complicated. <clears throat> so what she writes about is how people have been willing to accept how complicated it is and keep working together, even when it's really uh, challenging. And you're like, oh, I don't want to deal with this. The practice of love offers no place of safety. You're like, oh, I, that's, I'm uncomfortable with that. I don't want to deal with it. I don't want to retreat to that place. Sometimes maybe I have to. But I want to keep stepping up. Because I think we can all get a lot more free. I really do. 
And mostly that's just from seeing what has happened and paying attention. <clears throat> and you know, I think this is really, um, I feel like there's some people who are gonna not remember anything else I said during this term talk and just remember this five minutes, that's fine. <laughs> Right now, we have a lot of people talking about how Buddhist communities that are predominantly white are exclusive to people of color. They don't feel welcoming. And it's a real live question. Are we going to respond to that and really do some self-interrogation and make communities that can be multicultural and inclusive? I hope so. I hope so. A lot of people are doing a lot of really great work here at MCMC and many other places, but... It's going to be ongoing work. And in my experience, sometimes it's difficult. So I hope we can all get on board because the whole idea is that we can get free together. We can get free together. And for any of you who've done any Buddhist practice, you may have noticed that it doesn't always feel good. You're like, I'm never going to do session again. I have seen more of myself than I ever want to see. And I would like to turn on the television and just take a break. Yeah, sometimes, sometimes it's hard. But I don't think there's anyone in this room who doesn't know how free, how free we can be if we make that actual love of stepping into how things really are and really looking. <clears throat> Bell Hooks writes, when love is the ground of our being, a love ethic shapes our participation in politics. To work for peace and justice, we begin with the individual practice of love because it is there that we can experience firsthand love's transformative power. And this is just so real to me. Let me think, I can just think of a really... Great example. So like last year, or maybe it was two years ago, because the last two years are a total blur. <laughs> uh, I was working on like an Earth Day celebration. Oh, it must have been two years ago, because it was the first Zoom event that I was part of planning. So anyway, we're like going to have this big Earth Day event. And, uh, you know, we were just the organizers that had let me be a part of the little circle we're so careful to bring in a really diverse array of voices. And we have Muslims and Jews and Christians and Buddhists and, um, and indigenous religious practitioner and people of many different races, ages, genders, and queer folks. And we're like, we're gonna make this big event about like taking care of our planet and how we, we're not powerless. And, uh, and the people who were organizing it were so careful to make the planning of the event be beautiful and caring and loving and supportive. It wasn't like, oh, we got to get it done, everybody. Oh, it's like, oh, you know, if we're like getting this done, that's what's going to happen because we're going to sit here and talk about how we feel. Because that's part of being human and it's important. And we need to turn in up. A self-interrogation. How about just caring? What's going on with me today? 
I don't really have any good reason for why this quote is here, but there it is. What we cannot imagine cannot come into being. All I can say is yoga chara. <laughs> we can't even imagine the capacity. Yogacara is a school of Buddhism that emphasizes that what we experience comes from the way we imagine the world. And that means we have power. We have collectively imagined the world that we have. We can collectively imagine something different. And that's pretty awesome. That's pretty awesome. And if you don't think it's awesome, you should just read some Mahayana literature that gives you these vast, wondrous visions of a world of all flowers. None of them ever say it's minus 15 degrees and you don't want to go outside. I don't know. Anyway. <clears throat> Bell Hooks once wrote, the choice to love is a choice to connect, to find ourselves in the other. She wrote, to commit to love is fundamentally to commit to a life beyond dualism. That's why love is so sacred in a culture of domination, because it begins to erode your dualisms. Basic idea of Mahayana Buddhism is that consciousness turns whatever this is into experience of a world of objects, which then we judge as being desirable or undesirable, and then we use our minds and our bodies to try and get more of what we want and get rid of what we don't want. Domination, is that too strong a word for that? What do you want to call it? You can call it what you want. The basic principle is the same, that we do not have to experience the world that way. It's possible to realize rather than a world of alienation, a world of intimacy. Then earlier, Hooks talks about practice. She talks about how she just gets up in the morning, does her meditation, then writes for four hours, as, as one does. <laughs> uh, well, everyone has their different life. But we can practice. We can realize that life is an opportunity. And continuous practice does not mean, for anyone that I know, meditating 16 hours a day. I don't know anyone who does that. But practice means to do. It means what you do, and it means what you do that creates what will be. Moment to moment, just to be able to be like, oh yeah, here I am, waiting to be inside the building. I just see myself, feel my face cracking, see the sky. <clears throat> Bell hooks in closing, I'll just end with this quotation on continuous practice by Bell Hooks. I believe wholeheartedly that the only way out of domination is love. 
And the only way into really being able to connect with others and to know how to be is to participate in every aspect of your life as a sacrament of love. Thank you, Bell Hooks, and thank you all for listening.